Today, the title of the message is How to Study the Bible. If you have a phone with you and use your notes app, I would encourage you, take pictures today of the slides on the screen, take some notes down, write them. Um, We don't have bulletins like the kids used to scribble on those when we were little and that kind of thing, but um, take notes today. It's going to be good. Let me ask you this. Raise your hand today if you've ever been intimidated by the Bible. Okay, so... You, you saw hands go up everywhere. Each one of us have. Here are some of the things that I've heard of people being intimidated of the Bible. And notice my hand went up as well. I just want you to know you are not alone. Today's going to be really practical because I want to help you understand how to understand the Bible. And I don't, and I tell you this at the front end, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence. I have some people here who have been believers for just as long as 63 years um, as, as they've been married. I have people in here who are previous ministers of the gospel who have studied and gone to seminary. I myself, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence. I want to challenge you to either remember what you understand about how studying the Bible works or take some new tips on how to develop your relationship with God through this. So here are some of the excuses or things that I've heard, the questions that have been posed. The first question is, where do I start? And I'm going to give you an easy answer. Uh, Some of these are really, really matter of fact and easy, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Start in chapter one of whatever book. It, It doesn't have to be Genesis, but if you're going to choose a book, Then start in Galatians chapter 1, John chapter 1, Revelation. Don't just go roulette and go, okay, let me read this letter to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3. No, it's really helpful to get chapter 1 and 2 under your belt. The other thing that I've really heard is, is God mad at me? Is it really truly a sin if I've skipped a couple days? Um, I can tell you with certainty that I don't think that God views it as a sin, but it is disabling to you as a believer. So it's like they've told me about my health journey. If you fall off the wagon and eat an entire pack of double stuffed Oreos tonight, it'll be okay. You just can't do that every night after this. <laughs> okay, are you with me? So if I skipped a few days, what's, what do I do? Open the Bible and start again, amen? The other thing that I've heard is my vocabulary isn't up to par. Um, How many of you grew up reading King James Version? Okay, I memorized King James Version. I still recall it in these and thous and all that kind of thing. So here's the, the, the idea behind that is my vocabulary isn't up to par. I have a hard time understanding it. I'm gonna show you how to understand it um, better today, but here's what I would tell you. Find a version that you can truly understand. There are a ton of versions of the Bible, and I I don't want to break them all down for you, but we've talked about it recently. Essentially, there are some that are translated just in today's modern English to be able to help you. I will tell you this. This is my own personal preference. I think you should stay away from paraphrases, Okay, because paraphrases is just what Dan thinks it said, and that's what Dan's voice is telling me that it is. Now, that might be a helpful tool from time to time to kind of just experience, but it's definitely not something that you want on the regular basis. Okay, 
The other thing that I've heard is, I feel lost. We've all felt like that. Can you believe your pastors felt like that in preparing a message? I've felt lost too in my personal walk with God as I look in scripture and I'm like, ah, what, what is this? Here's what has helped me. Pray before you read, God illuminate the scriptures to my understanding. Help, <laughs> he understands your plain English. God help my dumb brain to really grasp what you're saying in your wise word. You know, he can understand that and he will answer that prayer. He will not deny it. And pray after you read. Take a moment. God, I've just read John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus and how he came to understand that you so love the world. Lord, would you help me today apply that in my life? Just a simple phrase like that in prayer can make a huge impact. And then there are some really strange things I don't understand. Um, I could ask you to call out some of those things right now, but I'd prefer not to. (laughs) Uh, If you have some of those things and are interested in studying deeper, I can get you some resources. But here's the thing. If it's strange, don't just gloss over it. I actually think the strangest things in the Bible are worth some really deep study so that you can understand them better. Amen? Uh, Take a look at just these references that I'm going to put on the screen. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts from these as we go into the message today. But Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, if you just want to write down the reference, it says this about God's word, that we should meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that is written within it because it will make your way prosperous. That's what God's word to Joshua was. And you will have success. So literally studying the Bible makes you prosperous and successful. Second Timothy chapter 3, um, inside of that, there are several places, but essentially what Paul is writing to Timothy, he tells him and says, continue in what you have already heard and believe because it's good stuff. So yes, you can find great stuff in the word of God to back up your belief. But again, let it filter you. Don't filter it. Psalm 119.11 and verse 105 say that storing God's word in your heart keeps you from sinning. You say, well, I have this problem. It just keeps on popping up and keeps on reoccurring. Well, get in God's word. You say about that subject specifically? Well, yeah, that's fine too. But no, really, just open it up and start reading Proverbs chapter 1 and start heading in the direction of developing your relationship with God because the Bible clearly says keeping his word in our heart keeps us from sin. Verse 105 says that the word of God is a light to your path. And in Acts, or actually that should say Acts chapter 17. I mistyped that to the media booth. I'm very sorry. The reference is Acts chapter 17. I meant to say it like this. Luke writes in Acts chapter 17, and he actually talks about a group of people called the Bereans. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're in a little place in Macedonia. And he says they received the word better than anybody else with all eagerness, and they examined the scriptures day by day to see if what was being preached was true. I tell everybody, and I'll tell you a hundred more times, bring your Bible to church, 
write down the references, and go home and look at this stuff. Don't just take Dexter's word for it. Understand it's God's word for you. In fact, I actually edited my message because I had, how many of you have ever heard the, the phrase, he must increase and I must decrease, okay? I was actually going to put that reference, it's from John, it's John talking about um, John the Baptist, and John was actually talking about it in this sense, I'm going to start stepping back and he's going to increase his ministry, well, we say it all the time, like, well, about the character of God, he's got to increase inside of me. That's a good thought, but you got to make sure that you're applying scripture correctly. So there's a reason for me to say the things that I say when I say study God's word. Amen. It can shape and define your belief and it can strengthen your relationship with God. It can even improve your relationship with others. <clears throat> it's good. There's good stuff in there about everything in our lives. There's some amazing benefits to studying God's word. And I'm going to quickly give you four of them. Benefit number one, okay, it changes your thinking. Studying God's word changes your thinking. One of the biggest factors in your success in any area of your life or any area of defeat, so not just victory, but defeat rests here in your mind. So it helps to change your thinking regarding personal relationships, your, your life, your vocation, character development, all of that stuff. Spending time studying God's word regularly, it gives you wisdom, it gives you perspective, it helps you understand the character of God. When you're sitting there saying, pity poor me, God, why do you hate me? Why have you given me this hardship? But then you come across the fact that God's favorite, <laughs> the apostle Paul, got shipwrecked, snake bit, all the other stuff, okay? Like he, he went through a lot of stuff, but it was God's will that was actually carrying him forward through those hardships. So it helps to change my perspective, amen? gives me principles and ideas and truths that elevate, that stretch, that exercise my brain. So that's why I say those harder things that are weird in the Bible, dive deep into them because they're worth it. It helps strengthen your thinking and sanctifies your thinking. In fact, it's the only way you can renew your mind. There's a lot of talk, and I could have somebody way more educated than I in this room talk about things like neuroplasticity. And how your brain rewires through addiction or through lack of and through common behaviors. Literally, I'm telling you, putting God's word into yourself, into your life, can help change your thinking. And it's the only way to renew your mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us this. It says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So renewing our mind by the word of God really helps change our thinking. You might be the person who's super prideful and say, I don't need my mind changed. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You need it changed in your marriage, how you deal with your coworkers, how you treat your kids. 
you, you need to be better. You need to do better. And God has the answer for all of that. Isn't that awesome? It's a great benefit that some of us are missing out on. Benefit number two is this. It changes your heart. Now, when we talk about heart, you can look throughout Scripture and you start to understand a little bit more. They're not talking about the physical beating muscle inside of your chest. They're talking about the inner person. But it changes your heart. It changes your desires. Our natural God-given desires have been tainted by this world, by our own choices, by our own sins. Those things that are inside of us, the world in which we live, it contributes the choices we've made, the sin that we've committed. We can't change our hearts no matter what we do by ourselves. You can't. But God's word can change your heart. It can help you forgive someone you've been holding a grudge against. It can help you reconcile with someone who you've been long separated from. It can help you deal with the hardship that you're facing, the stress of a new baby or the stress of going through a separation. Whatever the case may be, God's word can help you and change your heart. It's a vital part of the way that God works his transformation inside of us. Are you listening this morning? I think sometimes we are guilty. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misread me. Yes, you can pray that God changes your heart and you can wait for him to do so. And meanwhile, I believe he's sitting on the throne of heaven waiting for you to pick up his word, which is the tool he gave you to start helping. We're waiting for that emotional push of, ooh, I just felt the heebie-jeebies and this is great and God just changed my heart and gave me forgiveness for that person. Well, God's really wanting people, his people, to be people who know his word and understand his character and helping it to change their heart. Salvation means being born again. We've heard that phrase before. It's a one-time experience. you you have this experience, you accept Christ into your life. And then the work of sanctification continues when your diet becomes the word of God instead of the other things it used to feed on. That's what helps you grow as a believer. Look at what Psalm 51 verse 10 says. The psalmist says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So pastor, my heart is clean. Like it it got clean years ago. I'm a believer. I follow Christ. There are moments that it gets dirty again. And there's, there's a handful of people, probably a lot of people in the Bible that we could look at who got dirty again. The psalmist says, I'm dirty. Can you help me? Let your word Renew a right spirit in me. God, do a work in me. Transform me. So, benefit number three, it cleanses your soul. If you've ever raised a child, you know souls get dirty. Not just clothes, okay? But souls, souls get dirty, okay? You see that in their attitudes and all those things. Our inner being is constantly bombarded with distorted, ungodly things Attitudes. In fact, 
Um, we had an experience uh, recently uh, in our home uh, where we had to disassociate from group text that were with fourth and fifth graders who said things that could dirty your soul. It wasn't foul language. It was something that could dirty your soul. And I don't want that for my kid. It's my job to protect my children. And, and God gave us a measure of something that helps us as well. Because there are messages from media, from people around us. Your own sinful memories and desires creep up and dirty your soul today. Meanwhile, it was clean yesterday. It's dirty again. But going to the word of God as your source and studying it and reading it and going through it methodically, you will find cleansing for your soul that you didn't have before. In fact, we have a group of men that meet on Thursday nights here in the church. One of their main focuses is to actually study God's word so that it can help cleanse their souls. Amen? God's word provides a counterattack to the enemy's war that rages against you as a believer, and it's found inside of God's word. We need this soul cleansing regularly. In fact, I don't even know if the psalmist, back what we read just a moment ago, Psalm 51.10, I don't even know if he was experiencing that moment of feeling like he had a dirty heart or a dirty soul, but he was making that acknowledgement of create in me a new heart, renew a right spirit in me. That's a great daily prayer for every one of us, no matter how holy and righteous we get. Amen? Amen. Look at what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Well, how can you obey truth you don't know? Having purified, your soul has been cleansed by your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23 continues, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding, what? The living and abiding word of God. There is something incredibly supernatural about the words in black that you see when you read God's word. Verse 24, a quotation from the Old Testament. He says this, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord will never. It will never. It says the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord will not return void. It will accomplish its work in you if you open yourself to it. Amen? And benefit number four is nourishment, maturity, or as the old school people would say, maturity. Sounds highfalutin. <laughs> maturity. And character formation. These things are benefits that we find in the Word of God. The food and nourishment you need as a believer is found in God's word. It can't be found in the newest worship song. 
I'm stepping on my own toes because I like some of the new worship songs. I love some of the old ones. It's great. I would love to just enjoy worship concerts all the time. But that's not where the nourishment and maturity and character formation come from. Just because you have an emotional response to something that sounds beautiful, that's not where you're really developing the character of Christ. It's right here, right now, hearing his word and going home and studying it. It's chewing on the word of God. It's eating. The, the, the word of God and the study of his word is a doorway to intimacy with him. Pastor, I feel so far from God. When's the last time you read his word? Pastor, I'm, I'm in a real dry spot. We'll change things up in your personal walk with him. Do something a little different. Nourishment, maturity, these things. Listen, I've pastored for a while now. I've been married for 15 years. I've been in pastoral ministry for over 20. I've seen a lot of things, not everything, but I've seen a lot of things. And I've heard a lot of things in that time in ministry. I will tell you this. There are way too many old babies in the churches of Jesus Christ because they're not they're they're playing bible roulette or they're skipping days every single week they're not studying God's word and getting down into the nitty-gritty I'm encouraging you I want to challenge you grow up Grow up in Christ and the way to do that, to strengthen yourself, to become mature, to have God's character be formed in you is by studying his word. It provides a barrier against sinful behavior. It's a pathway to forgiveness when you need one. Amen. Without time in God's word, your inner spiritual being will be starved and malnourished. Have you ever seen images of someone who is malnourished? Just raise your hand. Maybe you've had the unfortunate opportunity to be around some sad scenarios. The thing I notice about those images is if they have clothes on, like a shirt, you know, they're not like a shirtless child on a TV commercial, they kind of look healthy. You've got to understand Just showing up to church may make you look healthy. But studying God's word actually nourishes the spirit of a man or a woman. And most significant of all, if you neglect studying God's word, it will stunt your spiritual growth. Drinking coffee before you're 18 doesn't that stunt your growth? That's what I heard. I don't know. <laughs> There's some things that have been told to us of, oh, don't do that. That'll stunt your growth. I'm telling you, if you neglect the study, not just the reading, the study of God's word, your spiritual growth will be stunted. It's a proven fact. In fact, let's talk about this character formation um, aspect of this benefit. So if I pass the mic around and asked you for your own definition of character, I'm sure we'd have something pretty similar that comes out. What it is, is the character of a person is the total, the sum total of their thoughts, their desires, their intentions, their actions. So if I characterize someone as a liar, that's not because they lied to me once. It's because I've seen a pattern. Can I, can I get a head nod? You understand where I'm going. 
So character is gauged by general tendencies, not by a few isolated actions. My child may have a tendency to lie from time to time, but she's not a liar. She has misspoken the truth, sometimes, you know, meaning to and sometimes not meaning to. So I can't characterize her and say her entire life she is a liar. I've got to be careful about that because here's the thing. When I think about character formation in God's word, I see some examples that challenge my thinking. Think about this. King David, he's listed in 1 Samuel chapter 13 as a man after God's own heart. Although he sinned on occasion. You say, well, pastor, that was a big deal. I mean, he committed adultery. He had a baby out of wet. Like, he tried to kill the husband. Like, this is like, what? But God, in his sovereignty, understood that who David was characteristically was a man after God's own heart. Here's an opposite example. King Ahab. Anybody remember that joker? King Ahab, he was married to a real evil woman. Her name was Jezebel. The Bible says that King Ahab did a couple things that were noble and righteous in his lifetime, but those things couldn't characterize him as being noble and righteous and holy because overall he was evil. The thoughts intense of his heart, the actions, the desires that he had, they were evil. So how do you make sure that your character is where it should be and forming into the character of Christ. The only way to do that is through the study of God's word. And so I want to help you sink your teeth into his word today. Um, I want you to think before we move on to the next thing, I want you to think about the character of Jesus. Shout out one of the character traits of Jesus, somebody. Holy. Give me another one. Truthful. Loving, humble, patient, faithful, kind, generous. The list goes on and on. He's the son of God. I'm, a, I'm now a child of God, and my life should be more like that and less like Dexter. My wife says amen. Amen. <laughs> so studying God's word nourishes you. It matures you and grows you your character. I want to give you some practical tools for studying the Bible today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and verse 14. Talk about the people who live on milk being unskilled or babies in the word of righteousness, being children. Verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature. So today, I want to help you start chewing on the meat of God's word and not just drinking from the bottle. Amen? Practical tool number one. Devotionals. Okay? The, this is the first step beyond the text of the Bible. But they're written by men and women. And, and I love some of them. 
I've had a Max Lucado devotional. I've had an Oswald Chambers devotional. I've had a John Bevere devotional. I've had a Chuck Swindoll devotional. My wife's had a Joyce Meyer book as a devotional, a Beth Moore book, a Lisa Bevere. I mean, popular authors, they're Christians. They're students of God's word to some degree, but they've not gone to seminary. They don't understand the original language like it, it's written. They're giving you their thought about verses or a character trait or here's a book about joy. Good. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're not meant to stay there. This will step on some toes this morning. You mean, but pastor, every year at January 1st, I get the new devotional at the... It's okay to get a devotional, but you cannot use it as your only tool in your tool belt. That's like trying to build a house with just a hammer. You can't do it. Can I get an Amen. Amen. And this is the deal about devotionals. This is my personal feeling. They can become a crutch and a cop-out because they've got the one verse. They've got his or her thoughts about that verse, and I'm done for the day. I checked it off the list, and I'm good. What that does is enable me to stay a baby. You say, Pastor, you're hitting this really hard. It's because I'm talking about studying God's word for yourself. I want you to go deeper, bigger than that. I don't want to be misunderstood. It's not a sin to use a devotional. I've used them. I think that's great. Everybody starts that way. But I want you to be challenged to go deeper. Um, You can go to places like Amazon or you can get a digital one on the Bible app. If you've not downloaded the Bible app, you should. You just go to the App Store, whether it's the Google um, Play Store, whether it's the Apple iPhone App Store. Search Uversion Bible app. It's developed by Life.Church, which is the name of a church out in um, Tulsa. The gentleman who started that um, version, or that app, I should say, um, over 10 years ago had no idea that it was going to take off like it did. But literally, you can pick a five-day reading plan for a devotional. That would really help. If you're struggling with anxiety, depression, you don't have joy in your life, you need help in your marriage, you can pick a three-day, five-day. There's stuff you could read with friends. You can click a button and it notifies them. You could be my friend on the Bible app and I can see when you highlight a Bible verse. It's an awesome tool, so use it. Don't get rid of your paper Bible if that's what you love and go for. I'm just trying to help you with some resources about what you can do to expand, okay? So, and also so that you understand, if you've never known this, the Uversion app has all of those cool resources inside of it. It's not just like the New King James Version and the King James Version and whatever version. It's all kinds of stuff. So it's really, really good. Here's practical tool number two. Research the superscript. Anybody in here remember what a superscript is besides my wife who's a teacher? (laughs) She raised her hand right away. Okay, There are several. Okay, The superscript is the tiny little letter or the tiny little number that appears next to a word or a verse. They even show up in the digital versions. So I read the English Standard Version, and I find them all the time in the digital version. They're not on our screen because that's our software just shows just the verses. But every single verse that I show you in the English Standard Version, most likely in the other digital forms and in paper, has superscripts all throughout that chapter. So this is your tool number two. It's another step in the right direction. 
research the superscript. What do I mean when I say that? There are two types of superscript. There are numbers and there are letters. The numbers are this. Numbers are cross-references. Numbers are cross-references. What a cross-reference is, and I'm sorry if you thought you were coming to get some super motivational piece in your marriage you know, message today. It's about as practical as showing up to a class in college called How to Study the Bible. I want you to know how to study it. Cross-references. It's other places in Scripture that the same word appears marked by numbers. Let me give you an example. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We've got it for you on the screen. Galatians 5.22. Everybody knows this. You've all seen it before. In the version of the paper Bible or even the digital one that you read, you should see some letters or numbers beside the word fruit, beside the word spirit, because it's capitalized. It's talking about God's spirit by the word love, because it's going to lead you to other places in scripture that talk about those exact things. So the point is, don't just read the verse that you see in front of you, but if it's got superscript, dig into that a little bit. Take your time with the word of God. It's like enjoying the steak that I did this week. I didn't gobble it up. I ate all 16 ounces. Maybe half an ounce was fat, and I still ate it. I ate all of it, and it took me a while, but I savored it. Okay, We're gobbling McDonald's and Wendy's on our lunch break, on our way to our next appointment, running here, there, and everywhere. When we come to the word of God, we really need to sit in, like buckle in, and go deeper. So you should see in your Bible some cross-references. Um, they, they appear in paper Bibles called study Bibles um, a lot more frequently, and they're really helpful. Um, but essentially, if you were to look at that passage, you would see these are leading you to other places in Scripture. Here's the thing. Other places in Scripture help me understand the pattern of God. So I can see if I go and chase the word love and track that down and research it, I can see where people loved or showed love or where the apostles told the church, you better love each other. Then I can see that and I can start to understand it better. Another thing that you find in the superscript would be numbers. Uh, uh, not numbers, sorry, letters would be letters. Okay, These are what's called translation notes. It helps you to better understand the original text, okay? I use the English Standard Version in my personal study and in my messages. You say, well, pastor, is that the best version of the Bible? I'm going to tell you it's the best one for me, and I think it makes a lot of, um, a lot of English, it just makes it plain and very simple for the average reader, I've encouraged my kids to have ESV Bibles. There's other versions too, the NSRV, blah, 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 blah. Everything's got its own acronym, NIV, NKJV. What version of the Bible do you read? Just shout it out. NIV, NLT, awesome. King James still? Okay, bless him, Lord. Help him with his vocabulary. No, uh, hey, keep doing it. If that's what works for you, I just don't want you to be intimidated by it. Okay. But let me, let me get to what I'm saying, which is the English standard version. The reason why your pastor picked that is because it's a word for word translation. 
It may, it may not be truly the best translation of the Bible ever created, but for me, it works really well because it's word for word from the original language and it tries as best as it can to capture the precise wording of the original text. In fact, let me give you an example. In the English Standard Version, all throughout the epistles, when the apostles, all throughout the letters to the churches, I didn't want you to get confused, when the apostles greet people, they say, dear brothers. Well, there's a, there's a modern day thing with us, in America especially, that like, hey, that kind of sounds a little bit sexist. <laughs> you just talking to the men of the church? Okay, great. Well, actually, back then, brothers could mean to the group in general, to the saints. So then you can find little notes, translation notes, by the translators that say, or brothers and sisters. If you've ever heard me closely when I read that, I do it in gender-specific language to cover both of the only two genders that exist. Sorry if people disconnect from Facebook because I said that. But I, I say, dear brothers and sisters, I include you as, as females. I think it's important that you're included in the word of God. Don't you, ladies? Amen. Okay, there are some versions where they would be very clear about brothers and sisters. But the ESV says brothers in the text because that's what it said originally. And then it puts a little note and says, or brothers and sisters. So the translation notes are very helpful. Let me give you an example in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. Now, hear me out. Translation of the Bible should not be opinion of what God said in his word. It is, if I'm a translator, it is my opinion of the original text that I'm reading. Okay, So it's my best attempt I've spoken with translators in foreign countries. I've needed, I've needed them more than I've gotten them. <laughs> but I've, I've uh, spoken with a translator. It's cumbersome. It's kind of hard. You know, you speak a, a sentence or two or you go too fast and then they can't catch up. And then you're like, I know those five words you said don't amount to the 42 I just said. Here's the deal. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14. Let's look at it. It says it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about our life of faith. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this in verse 14, who is the guarantee, and in the English Standard Version, there's a little D that shows up right by the word guarantee, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, which has another superscript letter, letter E, to the praise of his glory. Well, if I talk to teenagers in high school at Clinton Christian Academy for a chapel service, they don't understand the word guarantee, talking about a guarantee of a loan. They have no idea. Like, they're not listening in classes on economics, right? You didn't. But you know now as an adult what the guarantee of a loan is. If you secure it with something, it's a, it's a down payment. So then I can look at the letter D by guarantee and it gives me the phrase or down payment so that I can better understand what it's really talking about because I may not understand that context. The next thing it says, it gives us the letter E where it says until we acquire possession of it. It says this, this is really interesting. The extra understanding that could be helped or can help us it says, or until God redeems 
his possession. So that deepens my understanding of this single verse. Because they translated it in a way that we could phrase it in English until we acquire possession of it. But if I'm understanding that it's a down payment, it is truly, according to the original text, it's that God is redeeming his people. He's put the down payment, and now he's got possession of it. And that possession is you. Come on, that's good. It's good stuff when you study the word of God. So, research the superscript. I'm wrapping up. I've only got one one point left and it only covers five pages of my notes so just one practical tool number three commentaries so a bible commentary is just what it sounds like okay it's a book that provides comments okay on the bible um this week i was researching a passage in scripture i won't tell you which one and the key people in the scripture because it's a really wacky part in the Bible. But essentially this, I'll tell you this about Moses. You know how Jacob fought with the Lord? And you remember this story? The Lord shows up and like literally wrestles with Jacob in the Bible. There's a strange moment where the Bible actually tells us that God came to kill Moses, not wrestle with him, but kill him. So I was like, okay, let me look at this in a couple of commentaries because this is really interesting. Well, one of them blames Moses' wife. Then I read another commentary and it blames the child in, in the picture that's talked about. Another one says, well, it just says he, so we're really not sure if it's Moses or his son that God's coming to kill. Another one says the reason why he's, or the, the way that he's being uh, uh, attempted to kill is through a sickness or a disease. It doesn't say that, like in the original text, it doesn't say, and God was going to strike him with a disease. So it's just a commentary. It's their thought about what they are seeing. They're good tools, but not all of them are created equal. I read five of them, and I just gave you five different explanations for the same exact thing in Scripture. And you're like, well, which one do I pick? I'm going to help you with that, okay? But commentaries are most often book-specific. So you can get a commentary, just one book, about the book of John. If you want to, you just go on Amazon and you literally type in commentary on John. And books will show up by scholars, pastors, teachers, all that stuff. $16.99, Amazon Prime, get it to the house in a couple days and dive in. Whenever you hit a place in scripture where you're like, okay, I'm in John chapter 3. Interesting about Nicodemus. Let me see what this person said about it. Then it's really, really helpful because they're from educated sources like scholars, teachers, or pastors. But again, they are opinions, and they're about the um, specific books of the Bible. I want to give you an example that helps you realize that you need a commentary. And then I'm going to tell you, you don't even have to buy one. There are free ones online. And I'm going to post at the end of the message, I'm going to post a, a slide that has some websites on it. Take a picture of it, write them down, so that you can start using them, because they are awesome, awesome tools. They're tools I use all the time. Um, for ministry, but also for my personal growth. 
Here's an example of a commentary. Um, Galatians chapter 1, and this is from um, InterVarsity Press. I'll just read it to you. Are you ready to listen? Nod at me. Yes? Okay, still awake. After Paul introduces himself in verse 1 and identifies his readers in verse 2, in keeping with the conventions of Greek letters in his day, he greets his readers and he says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here begins the commentary. Grace and peace to you is a combination of the typical Greek and Hebrew forms of greeting. But it's much more than that. These two words sum up the basis and the consequence, the root and the fruit of the total work of salvation accomplished by God through Jesus Christ. Grace is God's unconditional, unearned acceptance of us, accomplished through the love gift of Jesus Christ. And the experience of grace by faith results in peace, a sense of harmony and completeness in our relationship with God and with one another. To look for grace and peace from any person, organization, or activity in the world is to forget that the source of all grace and peace is our Heavenly Father and His Holy Son. Wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's a scholar sat down and wrote this out and thought, you know what? Let me dig into the words grace and, and peace. And then, oh, that's what, oh, look, Paul says this to all of his people that he's writing letters to. Let's look at outside of the Bible. What, what happened in history? Well, when letters got passed around back then, they said similar things. Well, what does this actually mean now to the believer who's hearing? And he writes this whole commentary. You say, well, Pastor, that sounds long, dreary, and boring. It's actually life-giving if you can dive into God's word and really start chewing on his word. My reading of that didn't really do it justice, but you get the point. Lastly, I want to give you this. It's a warning. I'll let you read the screen. Google and Wikipedia are not Bible study resources, okay? Um, they can easily be edited, okay? People pay for their Google uh, results to be at the top of the list. Uh, in fact, I was upset, not, not upset, but aggravated uh, the other day. I was looking for a restaurant I knew by name, and when I typed it in Google, the first thing that showed up was not a restaurant by that name, and it said sponsored by so-and-so. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm looking at. Let me scroll down this page a little bit and find the actual thing I'm looking for. Wikipedia can be edited by you. You can go home today and look up the Apostle Paul, and you can submit your own edit and say the Apostle Paul was a dummy and submit it to Wikipedia, and it actually might get changed. You have that power and control, which means if you do, there's a bunch of yahoos that do. So that's why I say like it's, it might be a good starting place to kind of get the ball rolling, but don't go with your first hit. It's a messy place, actually. It's got some good, some bad, some weird, some true, some lie. Type in, just for kicks and giggles, type in God is a woman on Google at some point this week. Okay, there's some weird stuff out there and it shows up. God is not a woman. That's not what I'm preaching on. I'm just telling you, Google and Wikipedia 
are not Bible study resources. So please, um, if you're interested in like knowing what the city is, the, the city of Thessalonica, because that's the Thessalonians, then by all means, type it in Google, but start looking through some of the resources. Find a resource that's a Christian a Bible-based resource and look through and understand it. So don't go off the top hit in your search. Amen. And please don't start a belief based on that. I want you to learn God's word for what it is and what it can be because it, it can bring life, so much life into us. So last screen is going to be Bible resources. The best resource is the top of the list this is my personal preference for you to start using. If you've never gone there before, I encourage you to go to netbible.org. It's incredible because it's got um, original language notes, but you can still pull up whatever version of the Bible that you like. It's like a two-panel page that you can look at. Um, you can drop down and look at commentaries for free inside of there. It's got something called a reverse interlinear, which is really helpful. Um, it basically gives definitions of words from the original context, um, so you understand what they mean. Bible Gateway is a good scripture search. You could type in the word love, joy, whatever, Galatians chapter 1, and just hit enter, and there's a drop down for your Bible versions. Bible Study Tools has some great reference or research material on there. Uh, that's super easy, super friendly uh, for you to use as a user. And then if you by chance don't have a Bible that has cross references, I remember being, I remember turning 12, yeah, my 12th birthday. I remember being hungry for God's word. And I remember talking about a study Bible with my parents and with some family members. And I remember they gave me something called the Dakes Annotated yeah. <laughs> Some of you who know what that is. Okay, it looks like the original manuscript of the Bible. It's gigantic. It has margins on the right, on the left, and in the center with with yeah, exactly with two two um panels or sections of scripture that go, you know, and literally every single word has a letter or a number by it. And I mean, somebody did a Mr. Dake did a lot of work in order to do that. Here's the thing. You don't have to do the same amount of work that he did. It's already done. I remember I treasured that Bible. In fact, I still have it um, to this day. I don't use it all that often, but um, a cross-reference site that you could go to is openbible.info. Just take a picture of it, type it in your web browser later kind of thing um, in order to get the cross-references. If you have a Bible that maybe doesn't have those cross-references. Take one thing, one practical thing from this message today and start doing it this week in your life and watch how God's word can transform you.